the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Better Golf Podcast with me as always at Tee Off Sports. Spencer Aguiar, we had a nice week off last week. Watch the Olympics, watch Xander take home the gold. Now we just need him to win the Masters someday because I'm a big uh, Xander guy. But Spencer, how are we doing? How are the Olympics? How was a week off? Take a vacation or take a breather? You're just handicapping every single day. No, I mean, I kind of used the Olympics to take golf off entirely. I didn't watch a single shot hit. I didn't see Xander get the victory. I like Xander also. I'm happy to see him get the win. I know his whole backstory with his father. You know, he was a wannabe Olympian and, you know, he obviously suffered a tragic accident that prevented a lot of his dreams. So to watch his son do it, it was really good for Xander and his father to have that accomplished. But I've kind of just been watching the Olympics and, and enjoying it from a fan perspective for the other sports. Like there's, you know, a lot of, lot of situations and, and games that you don't get to watch all the time. So it, it's been fun to watch gymnastics and swimming and beach volleyball and all that stuff. I'm a big beach volleyball guy. I don't personally play it, but I feel like that is one of the most intense sports to watch male or female. They hit the absolute shit out of the ball. I don't know how they do it. I'd be scared. Like I'm six one, one eighty. You know, I feel like I'm a big enough guy to play that type of sport. And the velocity they put on the ball is just absolutely unreal. I'd be scared shitless out there, but yeah, it is a lot of fun. That's pretty much like the only one I watch. I don't really watch anything else. Uh, one of my buddies is really into running and track and field. So he did tell me about a, uh, but I'll put it out there for the people. Let me find it. It'll take a little bit here. But what are your thoughts on TPC Southwind? Obviously, we got to play some KH League because it's TPC written in bold right above my computer here. But other than that, I mean, I, I certainly enjoyed the week off. It was a nice mental breather just to kind of not have to look at numbers all week long and get ready for golf, build a ton of lineups. I only built one lineup for the Olympics. It was terrible. So I'm glad I kind of saved my money and didn't really invest much last week at all. But TPC Southwind in Memphis, Tennessee, 7,200 yards, par 70. Uh, so not a really long course, Bermuda grass, I believe. 66 golfers and no cut. And this is a pretty damn loaded field. This should be fun to watch. It's going to be a lot of good golf. Question for you. Is it going to be a birdie fest? I think to an extent it will be. I do think birdies are going to be made here. I think one of the interesting factors is, is there's a lot of water that comes into play. There's 11 holes that feature water. I think big numbers are going to be what ends up derailing players along the way. But I do think birdies are going to be made. These are not the most challenge I, for it being as difficult of a venue as it is. It is not the most challenging from a hole by hole basis. The par fours are really hard. You have two less par fives with it. But I think that you're going to be able if you can hit your irons well and you can have a good proximity. I think you're going to be able to score. It's just you're going to have to avoid water when it comes into play. So, I mean, there were a couple things that caught my eye when I was trying to handicap it for starters. I only waited course history over the last two seasons. Not only did the quality of the field become enhanced, but it also saw a move from bent to Bermuda grass. I think that's a big factor. I, I'm not saying not to weigh things before that. Cause I do think that a lot of the quirks of a TPC venue still come into play. I just think it's a little bit different. I'd rather just look for the last two years. The other thing I noticed is eight of the last nine winners have led the field in strokes gained T to green. So to me, yeah, I mean, so that just means putting is going to be de-emphasized. And anytime putting is de-emphasized, guys like Colin Morikawa, 
guys like Justin Thomas, all those guys become a little bit more intriguing. So I started my research with 25% on strokes gain T to green. That wasn't a reconfigured total in any fashion and features my baseline stats. I did consider adding a little more around the green into it because these are such small greens, but I kept it pretty basic. I did 15% on ball striking. I took 65-35 split on distance over accuracy. Then I took that number and did a 70-30 advantage towards GIR. As I mentioned, these are just smaller greens that are hit in regulation 6% below tour average. I have weighted proximity for 15%. That's a redistribution to try and find the key proximity ranges at TPC Southwind. That's one of the things I always like to do when I look at proximity. 63.3% of irons come from within 175 yards and 25.9% are between 150 to 175. I put 15% on strokes gain total at TPC courses, or I guess what we call on this show, KH Lee courses. But right. Yeah. You know, that's the one thing that's funny is I feel like you have started that narrative and now the whole industry has run with it. And there's obviously <laughs> some factual basis behind it. Like KH Lee does play better here, but that seems to be one of the number one things that I've seen. So I think you deserve credit for that. Um, you know, I, I kind of worry that 15% might be a little bit aggressive on it. Uh, this isn't quite the typical TPC design. I do think the water makes it a little bit more challenging. But when I looked at my rankings, literally all the past winners are the guys that are like at the top of my ranking list. So if it's going to mimic it entirely, I went to a full 15%. I have 15% on weighted par for scoring. That is an 80% par for average and 20% bogey avoidance. Uh, 11 water hazards, as I said, 76 bunkers, all the water is in play. Nine of the 12 most challenging holes land here and more balls find the lake at TPC Southwind than any other venue. And then I wrapped it up with 10% on birdie or better and 5% on putting from five to 10 feet. Uh, putting is going to be devalued, but I think that it's a crucial range for golfers. You're going to want to find guys that are going to be able to make it from five to 10 feet for birdie. You're also going to want to find guys that are going to be able to save par from five to 10 feet. Um, so that's kind of the way I'm going to, uh, handicap this tournament this week. Give me really good iron players. Give me guys that are, are going to be good around the greens, guys that can find fairways. I, I don't think that, you know, I, it's kind of a target golf would be the best way to word it. Um, accuracy off the tee is going to come into play somewhat. I do think the Zoysia grass when it gets wet can be penal. I think in the fairway, it's going to sit up nicely for all the players. So finding the fairway, being able to control your spins is going to be important. So the guys that are good total drivers, the guys that can hit a bunch of greens, and then we're going to need some semblance of a putter. But I mean, that's any given week. So I kind of just looked from the key distance between five to 10 feet. I think that's the most probably indicative of, of I think if you go below that, you're probably finding guys that are, everybody's going to be making it from that range. If you go outside of that, you're kind of finding the Jordan species of the world that are bombing them in, you know, here and there. I don't think it's as predictive. So I like the five to 10 feet and that's how I weighted my model this week. I absolutely love it. I love the analyzed breakdown. I was pretty, I mean, on a more basic way of going about it, I was very high on total driving T to greens. Number one in my weights this week approach a little bit around the green and yeah, putting was, was down. I've still had, you know, a, a decent amount just because going through the past two years history, like, People that finish in the top 10, top 15, top 20, which is kind of what we'll get into this week. There's not a whole lot in the market for top 40. Those guys do gain strokes putting. So I did do a little bit more in putting just based on what you said verbally. But for the most part, I am dead on with everything that you just said right there. So I'm happy that our models line up again this week. And that bet I was talking about for uh, track 
Um, if it doesn't work out, don't blame me. It's from a friend. It was Emma Coburn in the Women's 300 or 3000 Medley Steeplechase. I don't even know what that is, but the bet is to win a medal. It's plus 120 on DraftKings, so uh, just go throw five bucks on there just to have some Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. Central action. So 5 a.m. for you, no, 7 a.m. for you New Yorkers, everybody's on the East Coast, whatever. But that is my one track and field bet for the week, and I did not handicap it myself. Back to golf. Anything that you, like, are you fading anybody? Because I know from a DFS perspective, this is a loaded field, and you're certainly going to have to kind of pick your battles and who you're going to play at the top. For me, number one in my mouth is Kyle Morikawa, mainly because approach and total driving the guy is just a beast off the tee. And honestly, the putter's getting hot lately too. So this seems like everything's aligning for him to go win again after winning the Open Championship. Um, but anybody that you're like fading, I guess, DFA, I mean, because it's going to be a pretty quick show. Both of us talked offline. We don't have a ton of action just because it's kind of a, a very small field, obviously, and a no-cut event. But anybody that you're just not on, just me and general let me tell you who really graded pretty low in comparison to like outright odds in in vegas was dustin johnson was down to 23rd in my model i don't know if i've ever seen him below like eighth so 23rd i I don't know if i messed something up i see the point rankings that he has right now for me and it makes sense based on how i weighted this with the metrics and kind of just how he's played of late and then bryson dechambeau is 27th so way down there i know he hasn't really been playing that well Real quick, do you have any thoughts on like Dustin and Bryson? They're going to be two of the highest priced guys in DFS this week. So maybe we can just put a little bit of spin there and then just betting wise. Like, do you think there's any value in those two in the outright market? I think Dustin and I'll get more into Dustin when we get to the outright bets. I I tweeted it, though, a couple weeks ago. Uh, You know, Dustin's not playing the best golf of his life, obviously, leading into this tournament. But kind of a lot of the things that he struggles with or has been struggling with gets reduced at a venue like this there's the par five scoring um let me let me bring up those stats because i think it's actually something really interesting to talk about with him and i was going to save it for the last section but you know dj's almost 11 percent below his 2018 totals in par five birdie or better percentage which stems from him being nearly six feet worse in proximity from 175 plus yards as i mentioned earlier 63.3 percent of irons come from 175 yards and in here i think it's a good setup for him Like statistically, he's not grading all that well for me. He's 12th. Technically, that makes him a negative value on the surface. I think that this is the spot that he can win. He's the 2018 champion here. I I think that it's a good bounce back opportunity. I'm not so quick to fade him. I kind of like him for DFS purposes. um, And I kind of like him in the outright market with all things being considered. I think Bryson's more of the wild card here. Uh, You know, one of the things I said is this is target golf to an extent. That's not Bryson DeChambeau's game. My model did not love the way that he graded out. He was 17th overall for me. I think he's going to be a guy that I am going to fade him across the board. As you said, you can't play everybody. I think that it's just going to be one of those things where it's like, you know, look, he has the upside to win. If he does it, he does it. The ownership is going to be very nice. I mean, that's the one intriguing thing from a DFS perspective is that we know he has the game that can go win out of nowhere, but I'm probably not going to get there. It's just, I think in a no-cut tournament, you need to condense down your player pool as much as you can. And by doing that, you're going to have to miss people in certain ranges. So uh, the shambles probably out for me. As far as a fade goes, not really. I will be underexposed to Xander in all markets. Just won the gold medal. I mean, that's really my only thought there. I think it's a 
a lot of water on the course. We saw him implode a little bit at the Masters. We saw it at TPC Scottsdale. I mean, those were two tournaments that he was in contention to win. So not the greatest narrative against him, but second highest priced guy. I mean, that's a reason I think to maybe potentially look the other way. He is fourth in my model though. So I don't want to make it like he's some bad play on the surface with it. And then I don't know, everybody else is kind of just in that range where of the top 15 golfers in pricing, everybody's in the top 18 for me. So, I mean, there's really not much value to be had. There are some minute differences here and there, but it's very minimal. Love it. I think that's uh, it's a really good breakdown. I don't, I'm undecided on Xander, too. Like, I don't know how much to weigh the Olympic hangover if there is one. I'm sure he he partied hard, I would hope. So, you know, drink one for America. That's always good stuff. Any, uh, Let's just go right into matchups, then, if we're fading people, because I know you said this was a good week for matchups, because it's really like all the... If you're not taking outrights and round leaders and, and goofy stuff like that, it is a pretty tough uh, event to bet, in my opinion, just because I'm such a top 40 guy. I even had to start going to top 20s, which really scares me because I'm a little more conservative with the golf betting. But any matchups that you absolutely love right now? I don't know if love would be the word I would use. I do have a couple that I have written down, and I'd love to get your opinion on it. Uh, I haven't punched a ticket yet, but... The first one is on the Xander train of what we just talked about. And and I assume you're going to maybe not love it, but I would think you would like it based off of where Morikawa is in your model. And there's an offshore book hanging Morikawa minus 102 over Xander. I know at some of the legal books, that's at minus 120. So an 18 point difference there, if you can catch it at the right book. Uh, Morikawa is number two for me in my model. I, I just think though, like from a DFS perspective and Kepka's number one for full transparency on it. Uh, I think that I would rather take the 10 to 12% ownership discount on Morikawa and play him there. I kind of think he's the best player across the board when we look at these top price guys. So I'd be curious to hear your thought on that with Morikawa over Xander. Yeah, I mean, I like Morikawa is a, a better or a shorter favorite in every single market that I look at right now. And I have Morikawa four spots higher than Xander. So I think, you know, it's not, if it's damn near even money at minus one or two. So I absolutely love the price. I think I could definitely back that one. I just personally don't like stars against stars and matchups because they're just, I mean, those are two of the best players in the world, arguably the hottest players in the world right now. I could see it going either way, but at minus one Oh two, I'd certainly lean on the Colin Morikawa side there. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of the problem with it too. And we've talked about it on this show before, like, These star versus star matchups are never where the value is being, you know, found from with it. So it's tough. You're finding the best players in the tournament. The ones that are not the best players in the tournament are being matched up against guys or not. Like, I don't think there's massive incongruities in the market with where people are being priced. So a lot of these matchups are guys that are kind of in the same threshold of where they should be. And that's why one of the reasons why I haven't punched a ticket yet, just because I think that for the reason you mentioned you know, Xander's a great no cut player. Like if I'm only using a narrative that he has a gold medal hangover, it's not a very good argument to be had, you know, fourth in my model, there's only a three or two spot difference with Morikawa being second. So I haven't decided what I'm going to do there. Um, The other one, which I'm assuming you are not going to like based off of your earlier answer I kind of like Dustin Johnson minus 120 over Matthew Fitzpatrick. That is on DraftKings. Um, I don't know where you have Fitzpatrick. And it's even with my numbers, there's not a huge difference there. I just think Dustin's being undervalued a little bit in this tournament for all the reasons that I mentioned. Like part of the problem with Fitzpatrick is he's a safe player for an event like this. He has great course history. I haven't decided if I wanted to go down that route, but just on the surface, 
minus, minus 120 is kind of a lower number than I would anticipate that being for any venue. Yeah, I think just like firepower wise and pedigree, I would certainly like the Dustin side there. But I do have Matthew Fitzpatrick ranked 22nd and Dustin, I believe I said 23rd. So they are right next to each other. So that's funny that the book opened up that matchup because I think I personally as a bookmaker would open up that matchup. Hoping everybody jumps on the DJ side and hoping my miles right with Fitzpatrick. But yeah, yeah, that one's a a pass for me. But I totally understand the angle you're taking here because, like, I just gun to head, like, who's going to win, Dustin or Fitzpatrick? Head to head, I would certainly take Dustin. But I don't know. I just don't like his current play right now. Yeah. And and Fitzpatrick is 20th for me in my model. So I'm kind of in the same range. Dustin's 12th for me. So really not a huge difference and not enough value to make that a wager on the surface of what this is. But I don't know. It will. I, that's not something I've decided on yet. And then I'll run through these last three very quickly. I'm assuming one of them, you're sick of hearing the guy's name. So I, I'm, we'll see what you say about that. But uh, Shane Lowry plus 106 over Cameron Smith. The guy that I know that you're sick of, Webb Simpson minus 112, minus 112 over Cam Smith. So it's two Cam Smith fades. Uh, if I was to take it, I would just take one of them. And then the one I probably like the most would be Corey Connors minus 120 over Ian Poulter. Um, that's also a DraftKings number. So that's at a legal sports book. Connors is one of the better guides that grades out for me this week. He's, I believe, uh, fifth overall for me. Yeah, fifth overall, six for GPP, 11 for safety. So he does have that negative weight when I'm looking for cash games, which I don't love. But this is a no-cut tournament, so I'd rather take the upside for what he possesses. I know that if somebody doesn't withdraw from the tournament, you're going to get four days out of it. Poulter is a negative value from the upside. He does jump in to be a positive value for safety. But give me the guy that's more likely to make birdies. So as of right now, Connors is probably the only one I'm going to definitely bet. But, you know, I could be very easily talked in the Webb Simpson over Cam Smith or even Shane Lowry over Cam Smith. I will never talk anybody on the Webb Simpson because, like you said, I'm over that guy. I'm done with it. I, I just, it's something about him. I don't know. Just there's nothing sexy there for me. I have him ranked just below Bryson. So pretty low for a golfer like Webb Simpson, but I absolutely love that Connors one. I do have Shane Lowry ahead of Cam Smith by a nose. I, I, my model does like Cam Smith a little bit. He's kind of like upper mid tier, and that's exactly where his price in DFS, that's exactly where his price in Sportsbook. So I don't have any edge at all on a Cam Smith bet. But I do like Shane Lauer there over him. And then, yeah, everything with Corey Connors, I absolutely love him. Did you say he was six overall for you? Uh, fifth overall, six for upside. And and kind of just like based off of what you just said with it, it's that's the only one that is technically a, at least a big enough value that I usually look for when I recommend a play. The rest of these are more in that range of maybe Morikawa is enough of a value too, just because my model d- – Kepka and Morikawa were pretty above everybody else when I looked at it. Um, but as you said, it's a no-cut tournament. Xander has upside. I don't know if he's the guy you want to be picking on. Uh, so, I mean, technically, Connors is really the only one that is worth a value if we want to look at it numbers-wise. I think there are some narratives I can spin here for Dustin, and I can spin here for some of these other guys. And I'm not as high on Cam Smith, although I will say Cam Smith is a guy that you would think would be pretty good at this course. He has not been historically. Uh, 59th, 12th miscut here since 2016. Really good short game, though. You would you would think he's going to find success. And 12th is good, but you would think he'd find more sustained success at some point. So I don't know. I like that plus 106 number on Lowry. I My model always loves Webb. I know I'm never going to convince you on that. That's kind of our weekly discussion that we have off air. 
that I'm like, it's happened again. Web is number one in my model. And I know you're sick of hearing it. It's like, it's either Web or it's Jason Day or it's Seamus Power. One of those three guys breaks my model every single week. But um, I mean, I guess for for a comfort level, Connors is the only one I'm comfortable recommending. The other ones are more of a hunch and feel more than anything. Sure. I, I like that. Um, really, that's all. I, is there any other matchups that sparked your attention? Because I could not find one that I really liked. The Connors one I did look at just because I personally don't like Ian Poulter. I don't like to watch him. I don't like the visor. A lot of things that do not match any metrics or anything like that. It's just a personal vendetta. But I will go into like the four tickets that I have punched. I guess there's six if I count the two outrights. But top 20, hate to say it because I really want to do top 40s only. But top 20, my price on Jason Kokrak was even money. Points bet has him at plus 150. I think overall he grades. He's very high in my model. He is 13th. So to see a guy like Kokrak, he's been playing really good golf all year long. Probably the best year of his PGA career. I'm all about it. The Max Homa, I did find a top 40. It's minus 110 on FanDuel. My price there was minus 160, so about 50 points of value. Something I always look for. And then a small, small, small wager on top 20. I had him priced at plus 250 to finish top 20. I believe FanDuel is laying plus 320. So I like that a little bit pending your opinion here. And then top 30, I found a Kevin Na ticket at plus 150. I seem to like him a lot, especially when I drop putting down um, in my model. He finished up there to be right around 30th. So to get one and a half times my dollar there at the top 30, I do like that one a little bit. And then KH Lee is even money to finish top 40. I just have to have a KH Lee ticket, so that's the only one. Thoughts on Jason Kokrak, top 20. Homa, top 40 and top 20. Kevin Na, top 30. And then KH Lee, you don't even need to comment on because it's a lock. Yeah, we know we're playing KH Lee. That doesn't need to be discussed. <laughs> Before I give that answer, I'm actually curious to get an answer from you. Who do you dislike more, Horschel or Poulter? Horschel, all day. Yeah, like Poulter, like I feel like if I went to a bar, like Poulter and I would have a great time. We'd get past the visor situation. But Billy Horschel, there's probably like nothing we have in common besides we both like golf and he's like really good at golf. But yeah, I know you know my thoughts on him. I will leave it in the past. I don't want to just drag him my whole podcast career. But yeah, Poulter by a million uh, without even thinking twice there. Yeah, I mean, that's probably where I would have put my money on how you were going to go, but uh, I, I was just curious on Poulter that. Poulter probably well. gets, like, hammered drunk, and I, I think I could have a good time with that. Like, he just seems like a funny guy, so I'm I, in I for think that. everybody in the industry would probably give the same answer also. Yeah. I don't dislike Horschel as much as everybody. Maybe I'm biased because, like, I got a bunch of money from him at the WGC match play. He's that's a, a great reason to be biased. Yeah. I mean, guy paid the bills for a couple months. Absolutely. Then I, I get that. I've never had success betting Billy. So I'm just over it. I'm out. Yeah. I mean, it, it is what it is. I think you're in the, I think I'm in the minority here and everybody else agrees with you. But as far as the plays you recommended or the plays you like, like I, I can't talk you out of any of them. Kokrak's the guy for me that I don't have him quite as high as you do. He's 23rd in my model, 22 for upside. I do think plus 150 has very little value for me, probably not as much as it has for you. Um, wh where did you say Homa was in your model? Homa was 24th, right yeah, after DJ. You have him, uh, yeah, you have Dustin Lowe, um, which I'm not surprised. I mean, Dustin has not been good lately. Uh, I have Homa a little bit lower than you, and, and I wonder if I changed some of his course history and maybe some of his current... I don't know what's bringing him down as low as he is in my model. I guess it's just... 56 that TPC courses and the weighted par four scoring. Um, 
But I feel like a target golf course is something that he should play really well in. I And I agree with that. Yeah. He is one of the better proximity players, mm-hmm. um, especially when you look at the close iron proximity with it. Uh, he's fifth within 100 yards. He's sixth from 100 to 125. He's 23rd from 125 to 150. Um, he's not outside of the top 35 in anything, and he's 15th for me overall when it comes to the weighted proximity. So and you said that was for a top 40, correct? Correct. Yeah, it's minus 110 top 40 and plus 320 top 20 for Max Homa. I, I mean, at the end of the day, there's 66 players in the field. He's a guy who's won on tour this year. He's better than Minwoo Lee and um, Brad Kennedy and all those people. So I'm sure, you know, you already have built-in value based off of that. I, I like that number. I think that's a good price. Um, I, I'm not going to talk you against that. And then... And I never bet Homa, too, for the record. So that, that's what kind of surprised me is that I found that much value on the on the top 20 ticket. But I don't know. I, I just feel like the target call, it just seems like a, it's a perfect course fit for him. For a guy that we haven't really heard of in, in quite some time since his, you know, really, really hot start. Yeah. I mean, as I said, for a top 40, I mean, he only has to beat 26 guys to get into that range. So it's kind of hard to argue against that with some of the players that are in this field. And then Kevin Naw's kind of the same thing. I mean, like at the end of the day, a lot of these bets are just such thin value. Like I didn't find a top 20, 30 or 40 that I even placed a wager on. So you know, I'm probably not the right person to try to be convincing the public to try to make a wager this week, but they're not like such egregious totals where they're so far off that I'm like, well, this cannot be a wager. I think the homo one kind of just intrigues me just because he, I mean, if he beats half the field, you win the wager. Yep. Agreed. So, I mean, that's, I mean, I don't really have much more to say than that. Unfortunately, it's just one of those weeks <laughs> where it's like the values thin. It's a no cut tournament. There's more volatility than there's going to be. I think you have to embrace the volatility to some extent, like even with the matchups, one of the things I always say I like is just trying to find a guy who can miss a cut. And that's another thing. When you look at top forties, like when you can get rid of some of these guys and you think you can get a guy through a week into the weekend value just becomes better in spots than, you know, Max Homa could be out of this wager the whole weekend and he could fire a Sunday 64 to all of a sudden win the wager or he could fire a Sunday 77 to take himself out of the wager. So it's just going to be a volatile tournament. And um, as I said earlier, and this is more of a DraftKings answer, but it works for everything. I just condense down your player pool and the players you're going to want to back. I think that's the best way to go about it and just try to pick some shots of who you do like and you know, hope you pick the right people. I mean, that's not the most articulate answer to give, but there's going to have to be some level of luck and skill that goes into it. Yeah, agreed. Um, Any tickets that you punch then? Anything else or should we go right to our rights and get out here? Uh, I don't have anything from the top 40. I mean, I guess as of right now, the only wager that I even have is the Corey Connors one. And then I do have two (laughs) out like that. uh, I do have punched at this point, but let's hear yours before mine because I've already given the Dustin one. I am on him. Okay, that's fair. I have two, and they are nothing sexy. I have, but it's target golf for me. It's off the tee for me. Putting does not matter too much. So I went Sergio Garcia, 50-1 to on points bet. My model loves him, and no matter what I did, he showed up top 10 every single time. And then Paul Casey, 29-1 to on FanDuel. Always Paul Casey, and he's a Nike guy, so respect, Paul. Um, And he's 9K on drafting, so that'll be like a, a free play for me. And he's not that popular with Scotty Scheffler, like twice the ownership. Uh, yeah. Paul Casey auto play for me this week. 
Yeah, and, and I think Paul Casey, if we just look at DraftKings for what it is, like we're I, I don't have the updated ownership. I'm a little bit behind. I have like eleven and a half percent. I don't know what you're seeing. Yeah, yeah, right about the same. Yeah. So, you know, part of the reason for that is 67th place finish here at the WGC last year. Really important to note. He came into that tournament in the worst form he's been in in a really long time. Target golf, Paul Casey, usually a good recipe for success. Yep. I, think he's, I think he's a great GPP target. He's a great GPP target. He at least makes some sense in the outright market. Like, yes, he's not necessarily winning these tournaments all the time, but 33 to one. I don't know exactly what you you said you got him at. Um, I didn't hear. 29. 29 to one. I mean, it's still a value at that number for me. And then Sergio was a guy I actually did give a really hard look at. And I decided not to do it. When you go with Dustin Johnson at top at 20 to one. Oh, shit. Sorry. Sergio 70 to one on DraftKings. That is the number you want. That's yeah, a per- massive difference. Yeah. yeah, perfect on that. I mean, that's he's a guy who showed up for great value. Like if I'm looking at the top of the board here, the only guys that were values for me were, or I'm sorry, like the middle of the board, the top of the board. I don't really technically have a value, which is what's scary about playing Dustin and the other guy that I played. Like, I think Morikawa could win this tournament. I'm not sure I want to back him at like 12 to one, but we're looking at the middle of the board. Connor's at 50 to one. Patrick Cantlay was a value. I, I can't keep going down this Patrick Cantlay path. Like every time I recommend the guy to win the tournament, he misses the cup, but <laughs> I, I do think it's a good setup for him. Casey was a value. Um, Sergio was a value and technically Kokrak was a value. That's my only values in that middle range. I didn't bet any of them. I went to Dustin Johnson. The other guy I went to, I went to Justin Thomas. I think I kind of will be on my own island there. Uh, That's a little bit more geared towards perception versus reality. You know, yes, Thomas has posted a 19th, a 42nd, a 40th, and a miscut over the last 10 weeks. But the numbers are better than that. He gains 3.091 shots off the tee and approach at the Olympics. Uh, He finished the last two days with a 68 and 65. We've seen him average a little less than five strokes tee to green in trackable events since his win at the players. There's no top 10 since then. You know, I think that goes to show a guy where if we're playing target golf here, he comes into play. If the putter gets hot, he can find success. He wasn't that great with the putter at the players. He was a little bit better than a stroke and he ended up winning that tournament. I think something like that can help him win. And number one player in my model in no cut tournaments and number one at TPC courses. So, I got him at uh, 18 to one. I believe that number's still out there. I think the Dustin numbers moved from 20 to 18 everywhere. I'm still fine playing him at 18, but I just took the two guys, you know, virtually towards, we'll call it the top of the board. I mean, anytime you're less than 20 to one, you're pretty much at the top of the board, but I played those two. Um, as you said, Casey was a value and Sergio was a value. Didn't go there. Um, and I guess the other value, if we really just want to keep throwing his name out or I want to keep throwing his name out. Web Simpson, but I'm not going to bet him until I see something different <laughs> at this point. Love it. Awesome. Well, great show, man. I'm definitely with you on JT. So those are the only three. I don't know if I'll, I'll probably just do Dustin late at night. Cause I'll be like Spencer's on him. I have to do it, but great show. I appreciate, you know, getting back into the groove of things. I'm excited for the next couple tournaments here. I'm excited to play a lot more DFS this week than I think betting just because I have literally no risk on my card right now at all, like just very little. So it's going to be kind of boring. So I'm going to have to load up, take a stand in some guys in DFS, leading with Paul Casey, of course, and Sergio. Let's see Sergio's ownership just real quick. What is mm, 11 and a half? So pretty much the same. So I'm going to have to find like a 0% own guy that I like, which is going to be impossible at this tournament. But love it, man. Where could everybody follow you on Twitter? 
You can find me on Twitter at T off sports. It was nice to have you back this week, Nick. I mean, obviously we didn't do the show last week because the Olympics, but big thanks again for Joe nicely for filling in for that show. He did a great job on it. Yeah. Joe was awesome. Shout out to Joe. Greatly appreciate it. I love his voice, man. He's got such a a deep Southern draw and his voice is so low. I I enjoyed listening to that podcast. I was like, damn, this guy, you know, it, it just really reverberates through your whole body. Like, damn, this guy's got a low voice. Getting weird on you, Joe. I'm sorry, man, but thanks for filling in. Um, you can follow me at Sticks S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S, and at Better Golf Pod. That is our Twitter handle. Greatly appreciate all the support so far this year. And thanks again, and good luck.